Hi, you're listening to It Happened to Me, a rare disease and medical challenges podcast. The mission of our podcast is to support you, our listeners, and to create community as you confront the toughest challenges in life. All of us will experience health hardships. The real question is how we adapt. That's the focus of It Happened to Me, which wants to help you overcome limitations and live a full and satisfying life. Drawing on their own health challenges, co-hosts Kathy Gildenhorn and Beth Glassman interview guests who share stories and research to help you succeed in the face of difficult health obstacles. It happened to me, I'm not alone, and neither are you. Today, our guest is Tamara Blue. Tamara, a licensed clinical social worker in St. Louis, Missouri, with an MSW from the Brown School at Washington University. She's worked with grieving families on college campuses and as a graduate and postgraduate level supervisor. Tamara has also served as a consultant to the National Center for Deaf Blindness and has been providing psychotherapy and mental health care in her private practice serving teens, adults, couples, and families since 2012. Tamara is the proud single mom of six children. Her five surviving children includes 26-year-old Andrew, who has the very rare Hattersley-Urano subtype of Wolfram syndrome. She is an ally and an advocate at work and at home and has taught her children to be the same. To our listeners, Tamara's episode is in two parts. This is the first part. This episode, part one, utilizes Tamara's training as a licensed clinical social worker to help listeners develop a mental health toolkit. The next episode of It Happened to Me will be part two, which will address Tamara's role as the parent of a child with a nano-rare subtype of Wolfram syndrome. Tamara, welcome to It Happened to Me, I'm Not Alone, and Neither Are You. We're so glad to have you here today. Wow, the single mom of five surviving kids, and we're so sorry for your loss. One one of the five with Wolfram Syndrome and a career in social work. Hats off. You are one busy lady. So let's start with mental health basics. What does mental health refer to? Is it how we think, how we feel, how we behave? I would say, yes, it's all of that. We're talking about psychological and emotional well-being, and that also encompasses your relationship with yourself, as well as the relationships, your relationships with people around you. Thank you. And what's the difference between a mental health concern and a mental health condition? Is a concern more of a personal assessment or a medical one? And what about a condition? Uh, that's, that's a good question. So um, I think about conditions more as those um, mental health diagnoses that tend to stay with someone through life, like something like bipolar or major depression. Um, and a concern um It's certainly, it can be by self-assessment. I did work with um, a medical doctor in a clinic who said that he would do the tissue test. And that is that if 
when he was speaking with someone, they started to cry about their life. He knew they needed, he needed to make a referral to me. So if you were <laughs> feeling like you are having troubling emotions or behaviors or moods or relationships, um, or if you just need support, like you're going through um, a life transition, um, like normal things that we all go through, that we can all use um, some support. Um, and even things that have happened in the past, we can't change what's happened, but we can change our relationship to those things that is that have happened and start to think about how we can feel more empowered or have more clarity um, um, or flexibility about a situation, if that makes sense. Tamara, can I ask you, are you talking about the difference between maybe a single episode? Maybe you need to change your job. Maybe you need to move to another city as opposed to a long-term um, issue like depression. Would that be an example of the two different things uh, that you're talking about? Yeah. And, and even it doesn't like, we call it an adjustment disorder, which really just means that there's something in your life that's happening that you need a little help adjusting to. And that is the kind of diagnosis that gets thrown out when you're done with therapy and is only for the benefit of the insurance company. Um, but some people, so some people come in and maybe they want to do four to six sessions, just get a little help, a little clarity, a little support. Other people see it more as like going to the gym. So you wouldn't go to the gym four to six times and then say, oh, I'm a fit person now. Like it's something that is ongoing. And there's some folks who want first order change, which is a little maybe help and support in the short term. Other people are looking for second order change, which is that sort of more deep, like a more deep level of change and growth so that then you can't actually go back to who you were because the level of work that you have done is so deep. And so really therapy is there's no one right way to do therapy. It's really up to the individual and it is absolutely self-directed. Uh, the client hmm. absolutely fundamentally has the right to self-determination. And so it's really following the lead of what the client says they want from you as a practitioner. Hmm. Well, I, I want to go back to concerns and conditions right now, because I'm wondering if they both need attention when we're speaking therapy and um, medication or, or what, do they both need attention or do uh, they, are they treated differently? Treated the exactly the, the same way because what I'm doing is I'm doing therapy. So I am diagnosing and I'm treating with psychotherapy, these things, I don't prescribe medication. So that would be something that a, psych a psychiatrist would do. Um, did I answer your question? I feel like there was a second part that I wanted to say. Yeah, I, I, um, I just was so curious as to the difference between, you know, a condition and uh, a concern and, and if they need the same attention from the- um, You're asking the, me, yeah. And so I think yeah. we can achieve world peace if everybody wanted <laughs> to address. That mm -hmm. makes, I gotcha. Mm -hmm. And are feelings like isolation, losing interest in things you're usually very focused on, um, trouble focusing generally, and or uh, short temper, are any of these signals you might need some help? Absolutely. You just described some of the major symptoms of depression and not, you know, some depression is temporary and situational. Some of it is intractable and lifelong. 
the way that I see it uh, or understand whether it's something that is situational or whether it's something that is intractable, I view it in the same way. And that is that we all have vulnerabilities, which might be a major diagnosis, or it could be loneliness, or I hate my job, like could be anything, that's the vulnerability. And then we all have things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis to manage the vulnerabilities, which might be like exercising or meeting a girlfriend weekly for coffee or um, journaling, right? And so right. we do these sort of managerial kinds of things to manage our vulnerabilities. And when these things fail us, then we have the next level Sometimes I think of them as like a firefighter part, like our inner house is on fire. And so that could be things like these different symptoms that you've talked about, about depression, or it could be anger or sleeping too much or not sleeping enough. Um, but what's important is to remember that all of those symptoms that you just read off to me are designed to help the person through something difficult. So we may hate it if we, you know, like if we're canceling things and we're wanting to isolate or if we're um, feeling distracted, we may not like that, but it can really help you get into peace with yourself if you understand that these are things that your body is doing to help you get through something difficult. Like in depression, something difficult happens, your energy is really low, life feels really hard. Well, that's because this is all overwhelming and depression is trying to help you by letting you focus and have energy for this much. And so to get into a different relation, that's what I mean about getting into a different relationship with yourself. Um, hmm. um, it's about having respect for your protector parts and maybe deciding, do I want to let my protector part run my show right now? Or am I feeling like I'm being hijacked by my anger? Maybe I want to be in control right now, but you can't do that by stuffing things down. Wow. Love to drink wine and forget about it. But if you can make friends, especially with your big protector parts, like the big firefighter ones, oh, life is so much more flexible and peaceful and, and easy because maybe you want to take an afternoon to rest. You don't have to, right? right? So that's the goal of our work. That makes so much sense. Now, I have a question. When we go back to what Beth was talking about with um, individual um, moments where things happen and situational depression, is situational depression at one of those individual moments that just happen and you kind of uh, grow out of? Yeah, you, you get through it. You either get through it or you get around it, but then it then it's in the past. Yeah. Then it's in the past yeah. versus depression, which is something you you might not necessarily cure. You might There's, learn to manage. Right. There are some folks who have depression secondary to um, like bipolar or they have it as a major depression. And that's sort of intractable, even though there may be some some better days than others. It's just like like luggage that you carry along with you in life. It's just with you all the time. That makes great sense. So what are the warning signs for mental health conditions or crises? And how do you know when you or a loved one need mental health support? That is such a great question. So if, if in children we're looking for, has there been any regression to a previous, mm. to a previous developmental stage? 
Um, are are they failing uh, like at, at homework or um, for anyone, child or adult? Have they lost um, interest in things that are normally pleasing to them? Um, so if anyone- With bedwetting, like bedwetting? Bedwetting bed could be a regression. Uh -huh. um, loss of pleasure would be like maybe not wanting to see friends or doing things that you normally enjoy. Uh -huh. um, also, um, so anything that's like an activity of daily living. So like if someone is not showering every day, I'd, I'd be, uh -huh. if they're used to normally doing that, if they're not eating, I they're not sleeping, I'd be concerned about those things not going to work. But then mm. also if, if there's any kind of self-harm or um, talk about self-harm or about suicide um, or even like a, like a passive ideation is what we call like, oh, I wish I weren't even here. Those are emergencies. Oh. And so you absolutely want to get in touch. And we have a great now nationwide free confidential talk or text 988. Um, oh. I would say you don't have to be in a falling down crisis to call them. They are there 24 seven. And even if you just want to check in, that that is that is open to everybody. Oh, isn't that good to know? That's yes. wonderful. That's, yeah, it's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Nine eight eight. Yes, that's do wonderful not, to know. Do um, not and are there screaming tools or you know um, mental health you know assessment tools that you use in your practice? Absolutely. Um, it's just one that I made. <laughs> um, uh -huh. but it asks about things like in the last two weeks, how, um, how many days have you not been as productive as you wanted? How many days mm. has someone expressed concern about your alcohol or drug use? How many mm. days have you had more than five glasses of alcohol at a sitting? Uh, and then also questions about like sleep, um, worry, um, anxiety, thoughts of self-harm, loneliness, feelings of worthlessness. And then there are also, of course, like structured um, testing that I think is done more usually by psychologists. Um, but if you want to know like how to assess a loved one, um, yeah. you're going to call and you're going to, you're going to get some help, right? So you're going to reach out to 988 and they're going to help you. But in the immediate, you would want to know if someone you love is saying they want to hurt themselves, you want to know, do they yeah. have a plan? Um, do they have an intent to carry out that plan? Um, and to remember that sometimes folks get really impulsive when they're overwhelmed. And so mm -hmm. you want to make sure that they don't have keys to their car or that the knives in your house are, at, oh, please lock up your guns because guns oh. are far the most <sighs> effective yeah. thing. Uh. Lock them up. Don't, don't let them be around someone who's struggling. Yes. But you also maybe want to clear out medications. If if someone is saying they're not feeling safe around medications, clear um, it out and 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 then call and get some support. Oh boy, Tamara. Boy, what great advice. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have chills uh going mm -hmm. down my back listening to what we should do. And and that's what I want to know. You know, what should we do if you or or someone you love, you know, um how do you help them? Do you talk, talk to someone, talk to a therapist? What should you do first? Yeah. Do not be afraid to talk to them and don't be uh -huh. afraid to talk okay. to them about difficult things. Like don't be afraid to say something as, as 
plain as are you thinking of hurting yourself or are no. you killing yourself? Because you're not going to put the idea in their head. But if the idea okay. is in their head, you want them to know they can talk about it with you. Um, so first thing I would Makes try sense. is I would try that 988 hotline. Um, if that, they they may refer you to an emergency room, but you can know that you can also go there also. That's not my, that's not my first it's that's a hard thing for someone who's suffering. No one likes to be in an emergency room, right? And no. inpatient is can also be really hard. So that's that's not my first thing that I would want to do for someone. Um, I would want to see if, if they can, if they, if you and they feel like they can be safe. I would get the hotline, get some reassurance, and the need is really high right now. So it is extremely difficult to get a therapy appointment right now. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. ever since 2020 um yeah the pandemic it's been very difficult yes. but i would say don't give up there are baby therapists out there who are very very good and who are still building up their caseload and and be persistent you you can find someone how do you find a therapist um how do you probably- go about that I would suggest starting with your insurance company, because if you are lucky, you have good insurance, uh-huh. you could get it covered because it is an investment of time and money. Yeah. Um, Do you need a referral? Maybe with an HMO, you would. With a PPO, you would not. Okay. Um, most where I live is in St. Louis. And I would say most practitioners here are out of network. I'm out of network with all insurance companies. Yeah. Um, and I would not let that dissuade you because, uh, especially social workers like I am have a commitment to, um, mental health access and social justice. And so most of us have sliding scale spots where we can offer some low, um, low cost therapy to, to a certain percentage of our clients. And also I think every city has nonprofits that are also offering, um, mental health care. I can think of a dozen here in St. Louis. Um, Are there sliding fee scales anywhere? Yeah. So I like I have one in my private practice. Oh, wow. I think most places do. Um, And then also I would just search when I was ready to do my own like deep level of work in my 30s. um, I just put in Google, find a therapist in St. Louis. And so you'll get like psychology today or or different um, websites where you can find someone who specializes and you you can request like, do they like for a certain gender or for certain like mental health issues, or you can get pretty specific, even people who speak in different languages. So you started to touch on this before. What is the difference between a social worker, a psychologist and a psychiatrist? And how do you know which one you want to be seeking help from? Yeah, that's a great question. A social worker who does therapy would be a licensed clinical social worker. A counselor would be a licensed professional counselor or a psychologist. And they usually, they have to have doctorates. But all three of us do psychotherapy. And all three of these professions are licensed to diagnose and to treat with psychotherapy mental health conditions. Um, and then psychiatrists are also do all of that, plus they prescribe medication. 
And especially like in Boston and some places um, in the East Coast, there are psychiatrists who also like to do psychotherapy and not just passing out prescriptions. But you you find someone who you click with. That's okay. how you- That's, that makes sense. A good fit. And how you started to touch on how to find a good therapist. Is psychology today a great resource, a good place to start? Is, it's a good one. Is it better than Googling or? Well, um, Google will take you there. Okay. Yeah. And it's one of many. It's probably the biggest one. Okay. And how do you interview to find out if you have a good fit? Uh, for instance, a social worker. And what are some good questions you might want to be asking? So some folks will offer a free 15-minute phone conversation. Some will want you to, to come in or, or meet through the screen. And so what you're really looking for, I mean, you, could, you can ask them about their education, about their training, about their philosophy. But what you're really looking for is, am I comfortable with this person? Because more even than the modality of therapy or like the training that they have, there, I could give you all the different alphabet soup initials of different kinds of therapy, like CBT, DBT, IFS, EFT. Oh. <laughs> what, what does that mean to anybody? What you really want right. to know is, am I comfortable with this person? Do I click with them? And do I feel like they understand me? Because more than the modality they use, those questions are what um, dictates the success of the therapy. Now, will one of these therapists be um, arguably any more successful than another one with a medically challenging diagnosis or something you just weren't expecting? And it's back to the situational and the individual uh, concern that Beth was talking about. Um, what do you do in that case if it's just unexplained, unexpected diagnosis? So that's a great question. And in that instance, you would want to go somewhere or like when you're chatting with them or on psychology today, find someone who has experience like in medical social work or working with folks with chronic illness, um, because not everybody specializes in everything. Okay. But medical social work and chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, what about genetic? Are there any that work with rare genetic diseases or anything like that as a specialty? Certain that there are. I'm certain there are. Wonderful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, you touched on this. Um, because of COVID, uh, I think we've learned to do therapy um, virtually, and a lot of people are in therapy. How long should you expect to take? it will take to get an appointment? now? Well, sometimes you're lucky and you can get in the next day. Uh, ah. I'm speaking yeah. for myself. Other times it's three to six weeks or I have um, a wait list that is too full and I just am not accepting anybody new. But usually when that happens, well, I always do. I'll make a referral to, to three other practitioners who I know have spaces. Ah. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Wow. All right. So this is a, a question that um, may be sort of different, but should you talk to someone before you have a problem? <laughs> That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, wouldn't it? Just so that you have it like in your pocket. Should you get an unexpected diagnosis or something like that? And you just have that moment where you know that you might need some mental health support, even though you don't have um, a lifelong issue or an issue just that has been being treated on a regular basis. Um, Would it be worthwhile to interview? So in this case, we're sort of talking about, I guess, more of a situational. We both have health related issues. And so if we wanted, if something were to change in our lives, we'll, we'll use ourselves. We're not bashful, Kathy, right? So <laughs> not we'll, at talk, all. <laughs> we'll talk about ourselves that knowing we have health challenges, might we take the time to establish a relationship with someone and then let's say the condition were to take a turn that we didn't expect, uh, then have that person on speed dial. Is that something that's available? I think it's a wonderful idea. And here's the thing, you don't have to go every week. So if you're not uh-huh. in this, you might just check in once a month or once every six months, or once a year. I see. You know, uh-huh. just a, a tune-up. <laughs> exactly, like a tune-up, yes. And then you have that relationship going so that then when something does flare up in your life, first of all, that therapist is going to make time and space for you because you already have a relationship. And also Uh you have to go through the whole backstory because this person already knows you. That's a great idea. That is really a great idea. Um, So thinking about special, we're talking, we were just talking about health related issues. How about grief? What should you do then? Um, When do you know you need a counselor and and how do you uh, handle that sort of uh, experience, which is something, of course, we'll all face in our lives? Yeah, grief is interesting because it used to be the under the umbrella of exclusively of like religious organizations. Mm, mm. And 1982, we had the first secular grief center founded in Portland, Oregon, called the Doogie Center. And they were supporting children and families who were grieving and sort of set the model that is now um, spread across the country. Um, A lot of these organizations stepped in after 9-11. And so these grief groups, First of all, what I love about them is that they're very group oriented because grief Mm. is normal, it's natural, and there is something about not being alone with your grief that instantly makes it feel more bearable. And so these organizations can help before, like if, if there's an anticipated loss, they can help with anticipatory grief. If someone is, um, actively dying, they can also help with that. Um, and then, um, also after the loss. And there are all kinds of wonderful programs. We have a great center here in St. Louis and um, called Annie's Hope, the Bereavement Center for Children. And they do things Mm. like like retreats, weekend retreats for bereaved mothers. Uh, They have, uh, and also for teenagers, they have summer camps. They have family support groups where the adults all meet at one time and then broken down by age, all meet at the others. They, They go into schools. Uh, they do crisis work. Um, yeah. Oh, that's one. Yeah. What a wonderful program. And I'm assuming every city must have something like that. 
Yes, and um, it's free. I want to point that out. Usually, oh, it is free. Wow, that's Isn't wonderful. That wonderful. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah. So I was thinking, if we take each age group, what would be the struggles we should look for? I know. Um, I wondered, my kids. You know, were, was there a problem? Did I miss it? What happens to teens? Of course, with them when they were teens, I had no idea what they were thinking. I never had a clue. And then with adults and couples and families, we've got all of these. wonder if you can go through each one of these and talk about maybe what we should be looking for. So let's say kids, you did talk about regression. Anything else we should look for with kids? Um, for little children? It... Yeah. Yeah, it would be that. And, and it would be the same. It would be like any, oh, like heartbreaking stuff, like like, like they, if they say something like, I hate myself, or I'm just if, oh. if negative self-talk, oh, I'm so dumb, like that, oh. that would be worrisome to me. Yes. And teens. They, uh, I mean, typically teens, they don't talk to us, <laughs> you know? Uh, so how do you know when they're struggling? When their grades drop off, okay. when they stop hanging out with friends, when okay. they become uh -huh. truant or start oh. hanging around with friends who are not who you'd want them to be with. If you see substance abuse, mm. uh, I, um, or even just um, like irritability or, um, or certainly aggression. I, I wouldn't say that it's normal for teenagers to be angry. So I wouldn't dismiss that as, oh, they're being developmentally appropriate. I mean, an unhappy person is an unhappy person at any age, and I wouldn't just write it off as, oh, well, they're a, they're a teen, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. how about um, couples? When should couples go into therapy? The moment they have an agreement that is disagreement that is not resolved, because if you have a uh -huh. disagreement and you sweep it under the rug and you think I'm just going to move forward then that's your pattern. You sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug, sweep it under the rug. And then all of a sudden one day it explodes. And, wow. you know, I, I'm with you and I'm wishing that we had started our work together years ago. Mm -hmm. Does that make oh, sense? So well put. Yeah. So well put. Yes. And finally, families. How do we know when, you know, uh, families should go into therapy together? Oh, it's interesting because I do do family therapy and not a lot of therapists do. Yeah, it's always been self-referred. I mean, I think sometimes there are folks who work with the courts and a judge will mandate family therapy. I see. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. a, a lot of times I see um, folks with their um, young adult children who are in that like, like right. early, early to mid twenties and the parents are wanting to do family therapy. And I'm saying, this is the time for your child to individuate and to become separate from you and to invest in relationships that are not you. And so it's actually probably, yeah. They may need individual therapy to handle that concept. Yes. So that's not true all the time, but I would say that, but then that's usually then what we get to. Is family therapy a good idea when there's communication issues that they just aren't speaking the same language? Yep. Absolutely, Kathy. Thank you. Yeah. Mm, beautifully and, said. 
Yeah. And a lot of times there's also um, just dynamics that have become unhealthy. And so to be able to explicitly name them can be, can be helpful in healing. And when we talk about mental health, how long does it typically take to get a diagnosis? And um, how's the DSM? I keep hearing the words, but I don't even know what the letters stand for. How's that utilized in making a diagnosis? And can a diagnosis change over time? Absolutely, it can change over time. It's not necessarily permanent. And the DSM is the book that all mental health professionals use. Called it, I'm looking at it right now so I can read it. It's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And it is basically a book of every diagnosis that is currently accepted um, by insurance companies or is currently accepted by the mental health community. And so what's interesting is that the DSM I think maybe it's on the eighth or ninth. I don't even know what edition we're on right now. <laughs> we're always adding adding diagnoses and taking diagnoses out. And so it is not a static thing. Huh. It's evolving over yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I had questions I was going to ask that have been answered uh, about referrals and insurance and uh, uh other alternatives for people that don't have insurance. And it's just so nice to know that alternatives are out there and that there are sliding scales, uh, sliding fee scales. And uh, there's opportunities for nonprofit um, uh, mental health help. And I just thank you so much for highlighting that. Can Can I ask you something? Um, And this is uh, something that is really, I I think, disturbing to all of us in our country right now. And these are the school shootings. Mm. Um, Young people, uh, typically um, males, although we've now had uh, one one female, um, going into a school and, and harming children and teachers. And I wonder what advice would you give to families who have these, know that these children are in their lives, they're part of their families, and they know that something is wrong. What should they do, Tamara? I mean, this is heartbreaking stuff, right? Yes, it is so difficult. And, and, you know, we all grieve for the children that are lost, but I'm thinking of these families and they must be at a loss for what they are to do? Who should they notify? Who should they turn to? Oh man, this is not something that I have worked with before. Um, But I would say to reach out to your local children's hospital would be where I would start. Okay. Uh, I would also really want family therapy. This would be a case Mm -hmm. in which it would be necessary. And I know that we don't always know what our kids are doing, but you have to be vigilant about guns in your house. Yes. If you have like this, you should not have a gun in your house. Yes. Oh, I do not. I think that is really, really great advice because obviously um, we have stigmatized mental health. And so these families, I think, are afraid to say anything. They're don't know where to go, but they know that they have a, a child that is troubled. 
They know that, but yeah. they, I think they don't know where to turn and, and to call a hospital or to seek family counseling. I, I think those are two very good ideas and a hundred percent, not only lock up the guns, get rid of them. I think, oh, excellent, excellent advice. And so if, I, I hit, if our lawmakers yes. aren't going to do it for us, we, you, have yes. to, you have to do it yourself. Well, I think that's what we're going to have to do. I don't uh, see any promise of change. And so I think that having you give us such sound advice is really so worthwhile. Thank you for that. I wanted to ask you now that we've come to the end of our interview, any advice that you can give to us, a question we didn't ask or a parting message to us about um, our mental health. Yeah, I actually wanted to say something specific to folks there who are living with either chronic progressive diseases or rare diseases. Um, I I love the title of your your show here because um, not feeling alone with it is paramount. But I think it's also important to know um, that like folks who are say in a wheelchair because they've had a spinal cord injury, they Mm. tend to have better mental health outcomes than folks who have something like, like MS, where every day you wake up and you don't know what body do I have today? What am I going to be able to do today? Will I be able or will I not be able to, or a new symptom has cropped up, or I'm so scared, like, am I going to get worse? Is this my new normal? Like all of that stuff produces so much anxiety and so much depression that you absolutely need to have um, support for it. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, Yes, it really does. Really hit home. Absolutely. It really does. And then the other thing is I want to talk to the caregivers um, because I know that when I first talked to Kathy about this show, I was depleted. <laughs> I was just like kind of done. And, and I thought, all right, so what would I say to like folks like me who are doing, you know, like I, I take care of my son. And so I, I made a list and I would say, number one, pay attention to how you talk to yourself, because if your message is this is overwhelming. I can't do this. That's what you're living in. And so what can be really helpful if you catch yourself is to just change it a little, because the truth is I frequently feel like I can't, and yet I do. So I can't, it's impossible. And yet I'm doing it. And, um, the second one would be to be impeccable with your body. You should not be, I mean, sometimes you have to, right? When we're at the end of our rope, but you should not be pushing through with caffeine, alcohol, sugar. Um, if, if you must like once in a while, fine, but you don't want that to be your regular, you want your regular to be, I'm sleeping really well. I'm eating really good food. I'm giving myself exercise. I'm filling my own tank so that I have it to give to my loved one. Um, I would, on a moment to moment basis. My favorite time to do this is when I'm in the grocery store uh, online. Just check in with your body and notice, how are you feeling? Are you holding any tension or any discomfort anywhere? If you are, take some deep breaths and send it there. Taking deep breaths, it's naturally down-regulating. And so that's, that's gonna help with body pain. It's gonna help with anxiety. It's gonna help with overwhelm. 
Um, I had one client who I asked this question and she said that sometimes the best you can do, this is my tip number four, is distract yourself or numb yourself until you get through it. That there, That is, there's nothing wrong with, you know, candy crushing your way through a crisis. As long as, you know, like you're doing everything that you need to be doing, if you need to turn your brain off sometimes, I'd rather you do it with candy crush than wine. So like, great. <laughs> And then also, if you know other caregivers, I would be asking them to take care of each other, ask each other, how is this for you? How are you doing right now? Um, it, it is the it's the other caregivers who really can um, help pull us through sometimes. That's wonderful. Emma, you have given us all so much hope. I, I have to say this has been such an really we're talking about depression and yet this is so uplifting. It mm -hmm. has been so positive. You have made this uh, for all of us achievable and that you're not alone. And what a wonderful, perfect guest. You and have accessible. It's achievable it's accessible. and accessible. Yes. It's you really, This has really been a highlight and I am so glad that you took the time out to spend with us today. Thank you so much for helping us get our toolkit ready. I, I, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy and Beth. Thank it. you so much. And again, to our listeners, Tamara's role as the parent of a child with an ultra rare subtype of Wolfram syndrome will be discussed in our next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Happened to Me. We encourage you to learn more at ithappentomepod.com. Please use the contact form on our website to submit your guest suggestions, comments, questions, ideas, and feedback for the show. You can also email us directly at ithappentomepod at gmail.com. We would really appreciate it if you can leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast app like Apple or Spotify. This helps others in the rare disease and medical challenge community find us. It Happened to Me is created and hosted by Kathy Gillenhorn and Beth Glassman. I'm Kira Deneen from DNA Today, and I serve as our executive producer and marketing lead. Amanda Andrioli is our associate producer. Ashlyn Anokian is our graphic designer. And remember, it happened to me. I'm not alone, and neither are you.